welcome to the Messy Antics Podcast, a podcast about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Messy Antics Podcast, and we are uh, glad to be able to uh, chat with, uh, I guess, one another. I was going to say chat with you guys, but you're not talking back to us, uh, so this is better than talking with my kids sometimes, uh, but we're excited to be able to bring uh, a fresh episode to you, and with the uh, High Holy Days and Sukkot right around the corner, we wanted to talk about uh, something that perhaps within Messianic Judaism may be kind of unique to our experience uh, within the Messianic Jewish kind congregational life, and that is that as people come into Messianic synagogues around this time of year uh, and maybe never have experienced Judaism, Messianic Judaism, any variety uh, or flavor of Judaism before walking into a Messianic synagogue during this particular season of the year may seem rather foreign and and odd and more so than normal. I mean, you you watch people dance around the room kissing a Torah scroll uh, on Saturday mornings. That's like a little weird, maybe. That's a little off-putting at the beginning. But once you figure out what's going on, uh, it's important. But there's some features like that that are uh, perhaps foreign to newcomers to Messianic Judaism uh, that we thought we'd do an episode on what to expect during the High Holy Days or what you could expect during the High Holy Days and Sukkot that would perhaps be different than anything you've uh, experienced anywhere else. And so we're just going to have some fun and talk around this issue for a little while. And uh, hopefully it is edifying and educating to uh, to all of you listening in your homes or cars or wherever it is you are joining us from today. As we get into this discussion and, and before we start digging into the actual differences and things, I wanted to encourage all of our listeners that if you haven't ever attended a Messianic synagogue during the holy days of Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur or Sukkot, that you do so if possible. If there's a local community that's celebrating these festivals, that you make the effort to go out and join them. If not, if there's not one local, try to find one online. There's plenty of Messianic synagogues that are doing online services now. Uh, Don't leave that experience off of your your walk with God. These are appointed times. These are biblical holy days. These are feasts of the Lord. These are not Jewish holidays, but they're biblical holidays and holy days. And so we encourage you, whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, make an appoint to try to uh, access this. It's a unique experience uh, and something that we encourage you to participate in. So some of the things that are different, you know, in a Messianic synagogue, there's differences, as Rabbi David said already. Our music is a little different because a lot of the songs have Hebrew in them. We do liturgy, which are traditional prayers uh, that are done in Hebrew and uh, English. Um, so those kind of things are, are different. The fact that we have Davidic dance in our service is different than many congregations that don't have that. But when you go beyond that to the Holy Days, for instance, during the Holy Days, the the rabbi and chazan or cantor uh, will oftentimes wear a kittle, which is a long white robe. It's a dress. We call it the big white shirt around (laughs) here. Uh, But it looks like a a long white... uh, Choir robe. Choir robe, yeah. (laughs) Basically. But much thinner. Right. And then white kippah or a, a head covering, a unique head covering for... The Holy Days, just to sanctify this 
uh, Holy Day a little more and to remind us that it was on these days that the high priest would go and uh, and participate in those things leading up to Yom Kippur, which was the one day a year when he would enter into the Holy of Holies wearing just the white linen garment. So one unique thing that you'll see, because normally on Shabbat uh, we don't wear kittle, we don't wear the, the robe, the very formal attire, we wear um, regular clothes, you know, either uh, slacks and a shirt or, or maybe a, a suit coat or sport coat uh, or uh, a Cosby sweater vest that uh, Rabbi David is known to wear, uh, something like that. But uh, so on these days, that'll be one unique thing that you see happening. Do you really wear a Cosby sweater vest? Uh, I have been known to wear some uh, some sweater vests. <laughs> sweater vests are very handy. I, I, I'm not judging. I like them. At, I, at times when you realize that maybe you ate a little too much the past few months and your buttons aren't quite touching like you want them to, the sweater vest comes in handy. <laughs> so so one of those things is the uniqueness of uh, the Kittel or Kittle, um, and, and that is part of our service. Um, so other things are... Yeah, the, for for me, one of the the I think big things is that there is a dramatic shift, specifically during Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur, what we call the Yamim Noraim, the the ten days of awe. There's a um, a dramatic shift in the sound of our services. Um, so, for instance, if you come to the Shabbat before Rosh Hashanah, or you come to uh, Shabbat Shuva, which is right in the middle of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, you'll notice that the Shabbat service sound is different than Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are. Um, and a big part of that is is that the whole perspective of that season, of those 10 days of awe in Judaism, is this intentional introspection. I mean, you should have spent the last month before that, the month of Elul, in introspection and, and, and approaching that mindset of repentance. But our liturgy is drastically different. There's a more, especially in Yom Kippur, a much more somber, uh, Rabbi Toby said yesterday, almost a mourning kind of a atmosphere and the way that we approach our liturgy and the way that we sing some of the prayers and such. And there's there's additional liturgy added to the service that uh, makes it a little, even a little longer. Uh, but the, this idea of of intentional, like an intentional contrite spirit coming before the Lord, recognizing we've messed up, we've made mistakes, we've broken our faithfulness with your word and covenant and, and, and this idea. And as believers, now this is a really valuable thing because as believers, we should go through this, this mindset of repentance every single day in our right. walk, right? right? But sometimes what should be habit falls to the wayside. And so the beauty of the high holy day season within the, uh, the construct of a Messianic Jewish community, a believing community, the beauty of the high holy day season is that it's this refreshing pressure, this reminder every year of this necessity to approach the throne in repentance every right. single day. Right. And so you have this 10-day period. Uh, and now, within greater Judaism, there's an even you know bigger understanding because this is the time of repentance. And uh, you know the, the belief is that on Rosh Hashanah, there's you know two books that are open, the Book of Life and the Book of Death. And if you were deemed righteous, your name is written in the Book of Life on Rosh Hashanah. And if not, you're like in this limbo space until Yom Kippur when the day, the, the final judgment of the year is made and if you have repented enough and 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 follow through the process well enough then on Yom Kippur your name will be added to the book of life and if not then your name is added to the the book of death or book of judgment or what have you until and then you've got to wait a whole other year for the next time now as believers obviously we wholeheartedly believe that because of the blood of the lamb our names are written in the book of life 
And uh, but there's something beautiful this idea of approaching and repentance on a regular basis too that comes out yeah. of it. And and we're talking about people that are unfamiliar. And and I want to say there there are those within the Christian community that are unfamiliar with these days. But from the Jewish community, those coming to a Messianic synagogue for the first time will also notice some differences. One dramatic difference is that although we are do have a broken spirit, we are contrite, we are, as uh, Rabbi uh, Toby mentioned, or uh, David talked about Rabbi Toby, uh, a mourning, a somberness to what we're doing, there's also a joy in understanding that unlike traditional Judaism, where at the end of Yom Kippur you're still questioning your place, what's going on with you. As Messianic believers, we have a trust and a faith in uh, our redemption through Yeshua. So at the end of uh, Yom Kippur, when we enter into Rosh Hashanah and and then we close with Yom Kippur, there isn't that dread of the unknown within a Messianic community. So that is a difference between a Messianic synagogue and a traditional synagogue is at the end of Yom Kippur, a traditional non-Messianic, non-Yeshua-believing synagogue, there's a, a dread, a fear of, what if I didn't make it? What, it? what if I wasn't, what if I wasn't righteous enough? What if I wasn't holy enough instead of our trust that Yeshua was righteous and holy enough and uh, took, was a mediator and a replacement for us? So, so that's a, a different thing from, you know. So, I wanted to point out there's differences from traditional Jewish uh, services and uh, Messianic. So, let me ask you, Rabbi Jonathan, Rabbi Toby, since you guys uh, both came into Messianic Judaism from the uh, the church world, what were some things that really stood out to you about uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot that uh, maybe you weren't expecting or was kind of a shock to you? Um, well. For me, um, this was back in 2005, and I, the first time I went to a Messianic synagogue was in August. I just remember the, my first Shabbat ever. Um, so it, it was actually right before that time. It wasn't long before High Holy Days. So when I started going, and when I went there, I, I didn't just think it was cool or nice. It, it really impacted me um, in a life-changing manner. When I walked in, I don't even, I couldn't tell you what happened. It was just the whole thing. You know, it was like the, when I f- walked in there, it just, everything was different as far as God just rewired some things in me and, and he does that, you know? And, um, when I was, um, when I, so when I walked out of there after that first Shabbat service, I knew I didn't want to stop going to a Messianic synagogue. Um, I do remember not long after that, about a month later, you know, they, they started talking about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and all these things. And these were things I had heard of because um, I actually knew some Jewish people in high school and they talked about those things, but I just never thought those things applied to me. Um, and I, I, I just remember basically what you guys talked about at the start, which was, you know, I was learning just... By going every Shabbat service, I was learning the liturgy. Uh, I actually took a Siddur home. 
I mean, I was that obsessed over it. Mm-hmm. I know that that's not everybody. I'm not comparing myself to someone else. Oh, um, no. Our, our shelf of Sidors can testify that a lot of yeah. people take the Sidor, the Sidorim home. Right. Them. Well, I mean, I took it and I came back, you know. <laughs> I, I took it because I wanted to learn this <laughs> stuff. And then there was this whole other wave of things. Right. Once these holy days started and they were having you know and and messianic synagogues or and synagogues you know whether messianic or not will have services on those days whether they're during the week or on the weekend it doesn't matter it's just if it's on that day they'll have them on like Tuesday evening you know right or a Wednesday if it falls if Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or Sukkot you know uh, fall on those things um, and I just remember suddenly it was all this different liturgy I remember uh, Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah which is another, which is what it's called in the Bible, is Yom Teruah. I remember um, just the, that we would they would have the shofar service. It was all these trumpet blasts and stuff, but there was teaching behind it. The whole idea, I know, for me, one of the first things I, that that, and that's the thing. I mean, I'm not trying to bring up another conversation. It's just the key is if you are new to Messianic Judaism and you're going to high holiday services. Um, you need to ask questions, but I'm hoping that the people who are leading the services, the rabbi and the the, the chazan, and all, there's an explanation behind what you're doing. And because if they're just up there blowing trumpets, it's like, oh, okay, they're blowing trumpets. Okay, well, this is Rosh Hashanah. This is the day of sounding and the day of blasts and stuff. I'm like, okay, right, but why are we doing it? And um, for me, the first thing I learned about you know Yom Teru or Rosh Hashanah was the sounding of the trumpets was like a wake-up call. It right. was It was God telling you to wake up. And to think back about the past year and, um, you know, how you've done and not for salvation, like you said, like Rabbi Eric was saying, like it has to do with, uh, you know, am I saved or not? You know, do I have to worry about it's not like that, but we're always growing. Right. Um, We're always being pruned. And it's if we're not. And you know, looking in the mirror of our heart and being introspective, using the Holy Spirit as the measuring stick, of course, um, we have a problem. And I remember, you know, they said, "Well, we fast on Yom Kippur," and I just was all in, man. And I, I didn't all understand all of it, but I was f- along for the ride. Right. You know, that first year, I'm here for it, yeah. And I denied myself, and you know, God was, you know, denied myself as in I fasted, and you know, right. God was, He was just blessing that along the way, right. Um, I think if you're going just to spectate, I think you'll learn some stuff. Um, right. For me, though, I was like, I'm not coming to spectate. I'm coming to like find my seat here. Right. Um, and yeah, you're so, not you're, you're not trying to watch the surgery from the window. You're trying to be in I wanna, there in the yeah. I want to be in the operating room, right? So I'm 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 so I remember the shofars a lot, a lot of standing, a lot of liturgy, um, and I think that. Um, I noticed that it was interesting because, again, in a Messianic synagogue, what you're going to get, or at least what you should get through the high holidays, is their connection to Messiah's second coming. You know, the early uh, holidays having to do with his first coming, the second ones, uh, the, the ones in the fall, uh, the ones in the spring, which is, you know, Pesach, Shavuot, you know, have to do with his first coming, the, the, um, the, high, the fall holidays that we're going through or about to go through having to do with his second coming. So I remember Yom Teru and Rosh Hashanah was about this trumpet blast and he's, you know, return of Messiah and then mm-hmm. the atonement he's going to provide and and um, Sukkot at the end being this big party. So there's kind of that, that, that's kind of the way it goes. It's like, you know, wake up, gets your attention, looking introspectively, you see where you've 
maybe erred. We've all sinned. We all still struggle with our sinful nature. And then we mourn over that. And I think we should still mourn over that. And that's a big thing I think that you know the Christian church has a problem with with young poor. It's like, well, why are we mourning? Why are we mourning? We should be having a party and dancing with Jesus. I'm like, right, but you still are stuck in a sinful body. Well, but even Yeshua tells us that you know when when the groom, remember when the groom is away, right? Then his followers will fast. And it but says, while yeah, while he's well, the bridegroom's here, they don't fast. And like Paul said, you know, the body groans, right? So, and then I remember after you realize that you have atonement, then there's this this Sukkot, you know, this period of. Right. Of fellowship and um, and partying and Parquet. stuff, and, but I remember the things that stuck out to me were the shofars, like the the, the standing a lot, you know. Of course, um, understanding the somber attitude, understanding right. it, not just well, what are they doing, right? You know, and then of course Sukkot being like, oh, now it's joyful, you know, and, right. and understanding why that is. Um, so that was my first impression. You know, I don't know about Jonathan. I'm sure. Right. Oh my, I. To this day, I still joke about it. One of my favorite things is the waving of the lulav and etrog and on Sukkot. Because I, I just remember thinking, you know, several years ago, <laughs> like, man, we shake a lemon at God on Sukkot. Like, how how cool? Like, <laughs> how cool of a tradition is that to do? Like, you, you're commanded to bring the species together to the the harvest festival, but it's it's just the way in which it's done. I think that is a um, it, to me, is humorous. It's kind of like, man, this is so like God wants us to have so much fun. We're like, mm-hmm. man, we're gonna wave this lemon at you because <laughs> we love you so much. <laughs> but um, I, I love the dressing in, in white. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I love wearing a catel because you know it's um, white pants are hard to come by. So you know, I wear khakis usually, but um, with the catel, it's all white. Um, and uh, I don't know. There's it, it gives a deeper meaning i think to the idea of understanding that you know when you are in messiah you've been washed as white as snow there is no crimson stain uh, on you and and so to me seeing a room full of people covered in white um praying prayers of uh repentance and forgiveness and you know in messianic synagogues you know even you know making declarations of understanding that where we know our forgiveness comes from and that mm-hmm. we can rest in that peace of being for, our sins are forgiven um that to me is a whole right. new level of yeah i think that unique things should be unique you know when when somebody comes to a high holy day service there should be something that makes it different right then, then, and so I think the wearing the white is part of that. I think that, you know, on, on if you came, if your first ever experience at a Messianic synagogue was coming to a Rosh Hashanah or a Yom Kippur service, it would be significantly different than uh, in many Messianic synagogues. They don't have praise and worship on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. It's, it's very much just reading from the Maksor or reading the Maksor prayers off the PowerPoint, right. which are scriptures that are... It's a, Okay, I said PowerPoint. The young people in the room just rolled their eyes at me. I understand I'm old. Let's go on. So they look at the screen and they read the off-the-wall words. Uh, off-the-wall songs. The off-the-wall songs, the prayers. And they're very much a... We did this, which is, by the way, something unique to Jewish prayer and uh, worship from Christian prayer and worship. And and this isn't knocking, it's just a difference, is Jewish prayer and worship 
is almost always about us and we and together. An hour. An hour rather than traditional Christian prayer, which is about me and mine and and what. So, for instance, the disciples' prayer, what's known as the Lord's Prayer, starts with our Father, not my Father. It's about a community. And on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the, the feast days, the holy days, when we're repenting, we're not just repenting that I did this, but we did this. We as a community sinned. We as a community fall, uh, fell short. And and what when I was young and being taught about this in synagogue, um, my, our rabbi would say, yes, you may not have murdered, but because you're part of the same body, if anybody within Judaism murdered somebody, right. then because you're part of the same body, not just the same community, but one body, one person, so to speak, as a community, then you were to repent for that. Right. Uh, what you you may not have stolen, but somebody in the community may have. You may not have lied, but somebody did. So we repent for our for us for we uh, in doing that, which is again unique uh, and and even more unique on on these days. But it's it's a very somber, very. Reading and reading heavy and prayer intensive service where our regular services would be a lot of praise and worship and upbeat and lively and stuff like that. So if you do go to a, a Messianic or a Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah or Yom Kippur service and that's your first time, please also go right. to a regular service so you can <laughs> compare the two because they will be significantly different. Yeah. The messages will be different. They'll be uh, different things that happen. Matter of fact, on, on Yom Kippur, it's the only time in synagogue. You know, almost every synagogue has a seven-branch menorah, which is remembering the uh, the menorah in the temple. But on Yom Kippur, it's the only time a year that you ever light the candles on that menorah uh, because it's representative of that uniqueness of this day. So you might come on Yom Kippur and see them light the candles and expect that they're going to light them every uh, every uh, service, and that doesn't happen. Uh, same thing with the blowing of the shofar, and, yeah. and so on. So we also say the shakyanu. Yeah, the yeah. shakyanu. The you know, thank God for this giving us life, sustaining us, and bringing us to this moment in time or this day. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite prayers done on, and it's done Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, in, uh, both of them, but is Avinu Malkeinu, the the recognition right. that God is our uh, our God and our King. Uh, our, our master and our king, our lord and our king. But the prayer is well. One, it's special to me because when my kids were little, um, and and I talk about this a lot, when my kids were little, this was the only thing that would calm them down. So, like all year long, when they were were babies and they would start to cry, I would start canting the the Avina uh, Malkanu, and they would immediately quiet down and, and calm down and just kind of absorb the 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 noise and what have you uh rather than losing their mind and so it in and of itself has got a special place for me but uh but in particular the idea that he is our god and king and when we're approaching him especially during this season when we're approaching him there is a recognition that he created us uh to be perfect right he created us to be in the garden but we chose to walk away from that we chose imperfection we chose failure um we chose temptation and so when we come before him uh 
on you know Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, this idea of repentance, it's a recognition that he is our God and our king, and there is a necessity, uh, and more so than any earthly king, right? But there's this necessity for us to be um, uh, pure and holy and, and uh, restored when we come before him. And as believers in Yeshua, there's power in the reality that in our community, we recognize that we are, in fact, coming before him pure and clean and holy, not because we don't mess up still, not because we are perfect, but because we have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And as Rabbi Eric said earlier, we know going into this season, our names are written in the book of life, right? right? We, there, there isn't a, a hope that as we approach Rosh Hashanah, maybe, and we should make up some difference just in case. And then on Yom Kippur, we're just, it's a crapshoot. Maybe, maybe not, but you know, we'll see if this year worked. We know as followers of Yeshua that we are bought by the blood of the lamb and our names are written in the lamb's book of life. And so there's just a beauty to that recognition of our God and King uh, in a really powerful and unique way. And it's just such a beautifully melodious prayer. Right. Yeah, Kol Nidre is probably one of my favorite prayers. Um, uh, I mean, really the whole season, but it's, it's traditionally said on the evening of Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did a whole episode on Kol Nidre for those of you yeah. listening. So if you uh, go back a few episodes, several episodes. Go back to last year this time. <laughs> yeah, go back to last year this time. Uh, you'll hear us talk about Kol, uh, Kol Nidre. But um, uh, it's I love that prayer and just the history surrounding it um because you know it kind of perfectly encapsulates um so much of the jewish experience in history that you know this understanding that i want to be right before god also understanding that the world is not going to the world is going to make it very difficult Mm -hmm. for me to be right before god and even when i step out of the bounds which god has said do not step past there is always a chance to come back and ask for forgiveness for stepping outside of of those bounds yeah. um, and recorrecting direction. Absolutely. One of the things that we have an advantage of today, these days, that we didn't have is we have the internet. And so I want to encourage you if you've never been to a Rosh Hashanah service or a Yom Kippur service, uh, Rabbi David mentioned the Avino Volcano. It's a beautiful prayer. You can go on YouTube and listen to some of the cantors cant it and and get that kind of pre-holiday experience, right. get a taste of it. I know that Barbara Streisand did a amazing rendition of it. Neil Diamond did a rendition of it, as well as many of the traditional cantors uh, that have done that. Also, uh, same thing with Kol Nidre. You can find Kol Nidre online and listen to the prayer, kind of experience it before coming to the service. I also find it fascinating to me that uh, it fascinates me that the very first talking movie or movie with sound sound was a movie about Yom Kippur. It's called The Jazz Singer. It was Al Jolson was the star of the movie. But the very first American talking movie, movie with sound, synced sound, was a movie about Yom Kippur, which features the Kol Nidre prayer as well as other prayers. So you can watch that. Neil Diamond did a remake of it many years later. And so that's available online that you can look and experience some of these things uh, through some of the popular culture, but also uh, those things. So I encourage you to do that. Also, you'll see some of these things actually playing out in a synagogal experience that way. So um, 
Yeah, so there's amazing renditions of Avino Malcano, which is a, a, a very powerful right. uh, prayer proclaiming that God is not only our uh, king but our father, and uh, which is unique to our faith because there's no other faith in the world where the deity is not only the sovereign but also relational yeah. as our faith has. Or where the God actually cares. Right. About, you know, you're, you're not just some side action, you know, taking place within the, the chaotic uh, existence of this you know, deity. Right, a singular father for all right. people. Right. Yeah, I would also recommend uh, to, to when you're familiarizing yourself, whether it's going to services or, as Rabbi Eric said, um, Online, catching up, you know, catching up with things online. You know, I, I would recommend you spend time going through Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah. It's the same thing. Right. Yom Kippur and Sukkot, like all three of them, so you can get the full picture and the full context of what I think God is communicating through that through the season. And because if you don't, because I've seen a lot of churches do Feast of Tabernacle stuff. And I, I think that's an easy one because it's a big party, right? I mean, Tabernacles is a big celebration. God specifically commands us to be joyful, right? We're, we're actually is, we're instructed to set aside money to yeah. be able to bring, um, so we yeah. can have a good time, so you can afford so you can, a yeah. party. Like He wants you to have a good time during Sukkot. God loves to see us happy, right? Um, and I know that that's a, um, I know that that's a big one. That the church is very familiar with, but I think you can't understand why Tabernacles is so important without Yom Kippur and without Yom Teruah, without Rosh Hashanah. It all builds up. Yeah, it builds. It really does. Everything. Yeah, and that's everything God does, and and nothing is, you know, nothing God does is isolated. It's all connected to His greater message, and and I just would recommend that you don't just focus on one. You know, you have to look at them all. So spend time through all. You know, we, we would. I remember. You know, and and or I, I mean, I, I don't remember. I I can even think about thinking about it now. Pretty much every year, you know, you can pretty much see where you get most of your people right. that come and visit. Right. And Yom Kippur and Kol Nidre are usually the ones where we get the fewest. Um, and uh, Tabernacles is always a big one, or Sukkot's right. always a big one. And I'm you know, but I would recommend you getting the whole picture by. Uh, spending time either researching or attending through all three if you can. Right. And there's so. a good book. Um, we actually have one on our membership reading requirement here at Bradom, um, the, uh, uh, the Appointed Times. And it's up by God's uh, Appointed Times. By God's Appointed Times. Bar- uh, yeah, Barney Kazan. Yes, by Barney Kazan. It's a good book. It's a, it's a real, it's a, it's a, it's a good read. Um, it's, you can read it, you could easily read it in a week, just, you know, an hour a day, you know, before bed or something. Um, really good. Um, so I recommend that, and we can even plug a link to that in the uh, show notes. Um, but yeah, I, I love the buildup, like we were, we were talking about too. That that's a very unique experience too. Like if you hang around, if you if you show up to a messianic synagogue for the first time for Rosh Hashanah Yom Teruah, and you experience that, and then you're actually um, you know like Toby was saying, he was when he showed up, man, he was plugged in to uh, mm-hmm. wherever he was, he was. He was there for it. If you show up and you're that way, and it's your first time in a messianic community, a messianic experience, you know there is this somber attitude of you know we're we're, we're thankful for the new year, we're rejoicing with honey and apples and pomegranates and uh, and and cinnamon challah, cinnamon raisin challah, and then 
you and then it becomes a somber reflective period and then it you know it um capitulates at Yom Kippur and where it's the 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 somberest of days and um and then we rejoice you know there's you know joy comes in the morning you know mm-hmm. where we, and we we all launch into Sukkot and we're putting up uh sukkahs and we're we're having friends and family over for dinners throughout the week and a lot of congregations uh, have camping events some for just a few days some for a whole week you know there are i know there are several events throughout the nation at least in the US that they actually a bunch of people will meet up from several different congregations and camp in one area um, to celebrate um, the Feast of Tabernacles, and um, and those are all, and those are all wonderful uh, experiences to experience that build up. There's there's there almost is nothing like it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and let me say real quick uh, while we're talking about this, if you do come to a Messianic synagogue during one of these holy days, um, don't feel like like the wearing white is a tradition. It's not a commandment. So if you don't have white clothes to wear, don't feel like you can't come unless you have white clothes. Right. Just come and participate in it. Uh, if uh, you know, so so don't feel like that those are requirements. That if you don't do this, we're not we're going to lock the door, or meet you at the door, and not let you in. Uh, the same thing with building a sukkah. Building a sukkah outside of Israel is a tradition. In Israel, it says when you go into the land, you'll do this. Right. Outside, building a sukkah or camping and all is a traditional way of our participating in right. a holiday. But it's a tradition uh, that we embark on. So uh, these things are, are great uh, tools for educating, for sharing. They're, they're symbolic ways of entering into uh, the moment, the time, but please, if if you don't have a, a white outfit, don't feel like, well, I'd like to go, but I won't because I don't have white clothes. All, all congregations will let you in regardless of whether you have white or not. So don't just stay home and watch online if you're local because you don't have a white uh a white outfit. Just come on and be with us. And the reality is, is even the tradition of wearing white clothes is not something that's particularly observed across the board in traditional Judaism right. either. Right. You know, if you go to a reform synagogue and, and really a lot of conservative synagogues, um, you know, you see people wearing the, I mean, they're dressed to the T, kind of like you would see people for Easter, you know, right. Easter best, right? You, right? you see people in a lot of reformed conservative synagogues that'll dress this, you know, the, to the T, you know, brand new suits, nice dresses, whatever. Right. Don't go buy brand new clothes just to come or anything like that either. But we, some of what we're talking about is not a, hey, you need to get in lockstep with us the first time you show up. Because the reality is we're having this conversation because a lot of people aren't familiar with it and right. don't know what they're walking right. we into. We just want this them to, um, to ex- know right. what yeah, to yeah. Expect. Right. Yeah, this isn't to, to tell you you need to do something to participate, to come and to join in, to experience it, but rather just so you know what you're walking into so it's not so foreign and strange to you. Right. Um, but uh, you know, if, if out of respect of the tradition you choose to, that's great, but do not feel obligated by any means right. uh, to, to do so. One of the other things that's really neat, and we haven't talked a ton about Sukkot, other than I know Rabbi Jonathan and Rabbi Toby have kind of mentioned them a little bit. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the, the reality is 
We call Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in Judaism today the High Holy Days, but they're really not. In, in fact, if you uh, look at Leviticus 23 and you read all of the Moedim, all of the appointed days as they're laid out, Shabbat is the highest of all of the Holy Days, right? Uh, but the reason why we call Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur the High Holy Days is one, because they're so focused on repentance and restoration of our relationship with God and with our fellow man, but also because the other Moedim, the the Shalosh Regalim, the pilgrimage feasts of Pesach, of Shavuot, and of Sukkot, required for us at least once every three years for the Mel's to make their way to the temple to celebrate with all Israel together. Um, but Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur don't require the pilgrimage to the temple. And since there's no temple standing today, Rosh Hashanah, Shavuot, and Sukkot are, that by necessity, are kind of observed in a different manner than they would have been with the temple. Now, it's observed with the same heart, the same kavanah, the same intention of the heart. Uh, But Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur don't require the the pilgrimage to the temple. So since there's no temple standing today, it's considered, you know, the high holy days because they're the best we can do in terms of trying to do it somewhat right. Um, And so within uh, Messianic Judaism, you'll often hear us, as we've done a few times on this episode, you'll often hear us say the high holy days talking about Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot all together. Sukkot really isn't considered a part of the High Holy Days, but in this season, we just kind of lump them all together because they're realistically all within a span of 20... Is it 21? My mask going off here. It's uh, 15 days from Rosh Hashanah to the start of Sukkot and another 7 days. So 15, 7, 22 days. days. Uh, almost 23 days, yeah, yeah because of Shemini Atzeret. Um, so it's, it's a 23-day period of time uh that we have all of these holidays and yeah. now this and they, year they come quick it's like bam, bam exactly bam, you know and by the time it's all said and done as rabbis and and chazanim and vacation uh, time the 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 worship <laughs> team and whatever by the time the the fall holidays are over we're all like please give us another three weeks before the next shabbat i can't <laughs> uh no but but this year is a little different though Right, because normally we have upwards of six to eight extra services, or right. more, depending on how much you do during Sukkot. Six to eight extra services during that twenty-three day period, on top of our regular Shabbat services. Right. But this year, Rosh Hashanah is on a weekly Shabbat, and both uh, the first day of Sukkot and Shemini Atzeret are on a, a weekly Shabbat. Mm-hmm. So we still have some extra services, but it's definitely not as heavy loaded as it normally would be on most years right Shemini Yatzeret is another one of my favorite yeah days uh, where the, this year we're actually going to do an all night Torah study that evening nice. into Sunday um, which we did we also did one during Shavuot which was a good a, a big hit with the people who stayed um, so I'm looking for, I, I, I personally am looking forward uh, to that but I also just I love uh, you know because so, we we celebrate um, we we end Shemini Yatzeret and we roll right into the evening of Simchat Torah which is you know the celebration of of the Torah because you know we spend that evening rolling the Torah uh, back all the way to Bereshit to Genesis and uh, then we, we we dance with the scroll we celebrate um, and then we have Oneg and then uh, we get to study all night long just to you know for the fun of it you know and, and I know some people might be like oh it sounds like a terrible time <laughs> but I mean really kind of as just an outward expression of our love for the words of God in the Torah we're, we're like yeah we're gonna step all night until we're like crashing and we're gonna study the Torah um, 
so I've I've always loved Shemini Yatzer and uh, some Katora. Those have been some of my favorite because and they're kind of like the perfect ending to uh, the uh, High Holy Day season um, because it, it kind of like all comes crashing down at once and then and and I like I love especially that it's on a uh, an, a weekly Shabbat this year because then Sunday is a day off and it's like I can you can just re- recover from the past three weeks of just you know 100 miles an hour. Um, and you know, I so my year, my mental year. You know, like we all have different calendars, and you know, we 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 can talk about different arguments people have about calendar issues and whatnot. But like personally, Jonathan's mind runs on the Torah reading cycle. So like when we restart at the end of of when we restart and read those first couple of verses from Bereshit. Um, you know, at Shemini Yatzeret, leading into that first week on the re-rolled cycle, um, that's when my year normally just begins. That's how I've begun counting years um, for for life stuff because um, it's a it's a big place marker for me personally. So, so we talked a lot about different things. One of the things that they'll find, and it was mentioned earlier, is on Rosh Hashanah. We usually have food, so there's apples, honey. Pomegranates. pomegranates, things made with apples, with honey, with pomegranates. Cinnamon to, raisin challah. To celebrate for that round challah instead of the normal challah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And then on Yom Kippur is a fast day. and uh, No food. So there's no food. Uh, the but And, and I want to say this as we say no food there, but we were talking about how some certain people have to eat because of their different medical conditions. Mm-hmm. We have a number of people in our congregation that are hypoglycemic or diabetic or whatever. Pregnant. Uh, or pregnant or have to take medications that require food or right. any of those. And some of our seniors just eat such a little bit at a time that they have to eat you know, throughout the day. So I just want to say the, the scripture actually says to afflict your soul on Yom Kippur now, all the other verses that use the word afflict your soul also include it with fasting or end fasting. Right. But it really just says afflict your soul. And if you come on Yom Kippur and you have to eat something because you're of any of those things that we listed, I encourage you to do so. Right. Uh, life comes before law. You can't, you know, you keep the Torah so you might live. You don't keep the Torah so you might die. Mm-hmm. And so those are important things. So I, I just wanted to throw that out as we're talking about this, that if you come on Yom Kippur and you see nobody else is eating, but you have to eat because of medication or, or some kind of uh, dietary re- uh, requirements or whatever, eat something. Right. Uh, and then on Sukkot, we have uh, the harvest feast which uh, traditionally you have fruits and vegetables you're hanging them from the sukkot and from the sukkah and you just reach up and eat you have a, a cookout and, and all those things so again it's very the, food the jack daniels tree it's, yeah, it's very very food oriented uh, in doing so because these are communal feasts and rosh hashanah with all the sweets right <laughs> so so there, you, it's different in that way because normally on Oneg after Shabbat, there's not like a theme uh, so much like we're going to have apples and honey or right. we're going to have fruits and vegetables right. or we're going to have you, you bring whatever is there and share with the community. Now, there are some congregations that will do, okay, we're doing Italian Day or we're doing Chinese Day or whatever, but that's not a, a biblical or a 
universal tradition. But on these feast days, there are certain traditions that are for those that are unique and and different in that way. Yeah, and if you don't have a medical condition... And right. You, and you still don't fast. Right. right. Yeah. Don't invite somebody to lunch after Yom Kippur. Right. Which happened one, one year. Yeah. And it's, and it, and it, and it, and it, it happened to me. Like this, <laughs> Did it? it was, we were, me and my friends were all standing together after service. And one of our friends who had been going to the congregation for years oh said, so are you guys coming to lunch with us? And I went, <laughs> yeah, right. And I was like, oh, you're, oh, you're, you're serious. serious. <laughs> and I was like, huh? Oh dear! I yep. was like, "All right, bye." It's yeah. like the annual Yom Kippur recipe yeah. joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not like condemning that person. I right. just was like, "Come on!" But, I mean, but, but, but there is a level of decorum and respect, right? You well, it's like if you if you do have a reason for eating, and I'm talking about having a reason because you know it does say afflict your soul. But by the time we get to Isaiah, um, it is established as the fast. Yeah, it's a national say. fasting day. Zechariah yeah. 14 also mentions right, it. Right, right. They are. It is months, a fast so. of like not eating and drinking, so we you know, understand the physical there was... thing. Um, you know, if, if you're if you have a good reason, like don't bust out the Cheetos in the middle of the sanctuary. Like right, actually, right. like maybe go to the fellowship hall or right. You know, because yeah, you, they, you be know, discreet. right? Because I can I can tell you one of the worst experiences in the world is smelling food at the end of Yom Kippur when you still can't quite eat yet. You're like, you still oh. got a little... So, and I say that because in our synagogue, when we were in New York, our synagogue in New York, the, the building that we used then, the, the fellowship hall was in the basement. Uh, and there were vents from the kitchen. Oh, no. And on the steps of the, the stage. <laughs> and so, so during our Nela service at the end of Yom Kippur, some of the, the, the like hospitality team would go downstairs and start warming up food that had wow. been brought for potluck for breakfast. Because after Nela service, we'd break fast together as a community. And so they'd start to warm food up. And we're trying to you know make our way through, survive this last service. You're already trying not to focus on the fact that you're hungry. And then wafting up from the steps of the stage is the food of the smell of all these foods that are warming up downstairs. And you're like, oh, my stomach growling louder than I'm preaching. I don't know what to do. Which is the reason, which is the reason at our synagogue that after our Naila service, we all go out to eat at a restaurant. We go elsewhere. Because we don't want the people smelling the food cooking and and warming during the, at the synagogue. So we all go out to a restaurant and have a, a breakfast meal together. Just like after Pesach, we have our yeast feast, where after you know a time of not having yeast for seven days, we we have somewhere where we go and uh, and have that together, and just everybody eats all the yeast that they gave up for those seven days all in one right. meal. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, that's my. Yeah, have you ever reason? You know, use your reason, but do it do it respectfully. And but yeah, I'm I'm with Toby. I'm like, man, if you're if you're you know under the age of what we would consider you know senior years and in relatively good health and fit, (laughs) just you know 
don't invite people to lunch if you don't invite participate. people to lunch. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, it was after Yom Kippur. It wasn't even in the midst. You know, you know what I'm saying? It was yeah, like right after the as, service. That's almost as bad as if they like were tailgating in the parking lot. Oh gracious! You know, you, you come out the synagogue and somebody's little, got like, their little their, barbecue grill, their tailgate open with a little hibachi grill on it, grilling steaks as the end. No, got some smoked brisket. Ha- have those a, you want? Some. Have a little compassion for those that are fast. It's like the child catcher and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with the the, the wagon with the candy and everything. You know, yeah. <laughs> cherry pies, yeah, lollipops. <laughs> so yeah, afflicting your soul. Don't don't do something to uh, assist people in afflicting their right. souls. Oh, and speaking on that side, it is tradition to you know not do a lot of comfortable things like mm-hmm. um, taking a shower. We advocate for taking. A shower at the very um, least, wear deodorant. At the very yeah, least, we live wear in deodorant. Florida because so yeah, remember it's afflict your soul, not your se- yourself, right. <laughs> yourself, yourself, right. afflict and yourself, not your neighbor. By the way, we hadn't mentioned that, so I guess before we close out this particular episode, we should mention that traditionally on Yom Kippur, you don't wear leather, you don't wear jewelry. You don't wear deodorant. You don't, you don't sit wear uncomfortable seats. You don't sit on comfortable seats. You uh, you wear plain clothes so as not to draw attention or those kind of things. So there, those are traditions that come along with uh, in doing this. So, uh, and but again, all traditionally viewed as a part of the construct of denying or afflicting yourself because it, the, the premise is to remove all creature comforts that right. we have grown accustomed to in the world that we live in today so that we can focus better on uh, having a contrite spirit before the Lord right. and, and truly repenting. Yeah. And it's, it's also not only in that, but but it also puts is meant to put everybody on a level mm-hmm. field yeah. so that the rich and the poor looked the same. There was nobody, because as you go before the Lord, you're not going before him as a rich man, as a poor man, you're just going as a human. And so we we wear the same level kind of garments, so you don't wear jewelry, you don't wear fancies, you don't wear those kind of things as part of that statement that I understand that I am equal to. I'm no better, no worse than anybody else. And as we get ready to close, I'll say that one of my favorite things about Yom Kippur is in our prayers of repentance and the al and such, um, we have prayers that are basically asking God for forgiveness for every possible contingent of potential sin, even down to a line that says, for the sin that I sinned when I didn't realize I was sinning, please forgive me. And the truth of the matter is, is that far too often we are likely to sin and never think about it again, not even realizing in the moment that we had given in a temptation. Uh, And so there's just something so beautiful to the recognition that we may have done something to mess up when we weren't thinking about it and ask the Lord to forgive us anyways. Uh, not even a matter of, hey, bring it to my mind so I can feel bad. Just, God, forgive me, right? Let it, let, forgive me for, for the mistake that I've made, whatever it may be. Um, and I think there's something to take away from that in our daily discipleship practice because there's a lot of stuff we do that we may not even have processed that we did that's not necessarily in the character and image of the one in, in which we're to, uh, to emulate. Um, and so... Uh, We'll leave it with that today. We appreciate you joining us for this episode, and we will talk with you guys again next week. 
Thank you for listening to the Messy Antics Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. And be sure to follow and interact with us on social media at Messy Antics Podcast.